Well, again, it's good to see everyone <clears throat> here tonight. I was just thinking uh, of this uh, red book. It's been a while since we've used it, but it seems like uh, no matter how long we go without using it, these songs, we just, you know them by heart. As soon as uh, a brother starts a song, you can nearly sing it without looking at the book. Of course, we used them for years, but they're such familiar songs. Singing was good. Wonderful prayer. Uh, tonight, I have a, a lot of reading in my lesson tonight. And it's mainly going to be coming from Leviticus. And I'll be starting in the 8th chapter and reading the 8th chapter, the ninth chapter, and then verses 1 through 3 of the 10th, uh, 10th chapter. So, uh, you know, we are familiar with the many things that Jesus said in his short life, in his sermons, in the Bible, and his teaching to the disciples. But tonight, for a little while, I want to bring to our mind, in our lesson tonight, some of the things that Jesus did not say. And I believe James has covered probably some of these, if not all of them, before he's given lessons on things that Jesus said and things Jesus did not say. So I want to look at five things that Jesus did not say. And as Christians or followers of Christ, members of the, the church, I think that we need to be careful as well in the things that we say or the things that we teach that Jesus did or didn't say because we have to be careful not to mislead others. So, if you want to turn to Leviticus 8, uh, we'll begin there shortly. Uh, now, I have five things I want to list right now that, that Jesus did not say. And the first one is just follow your heart, something we hear quite often today. Uh, Jesus never said, just follow your heart. But he did say in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20 from the NIV, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Those are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And this was a case where the uh, Pharisees and scribes who were always attempting to uh, distort what Jesus had taught or trick Jesus or catch him, you know, in, in any kind of a trap, uh, had confronted him about his disciples not washing their hands uh, before they eat. Number four, Jesus did not say, just be true to yourself. Another very popular belief in the world today. But this belief is not found anywhere in the scriptures. But Jesus did say in Matthew 16 and 24 from the Amplified Bible, then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interest, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, 
conforming to my example in living and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. <laughs> Number three, Jesus did not say, live the way you believe is right. Or another popular saying, you do your thing and I will do mine. You worship your way, I'll worship my way that I want to. Jesus never said this. But Jesus did say in John 14, uh, verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the only way, and this is from the Amplified, only way to God and the real truth and the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And number two, Jesus did not say, as long as it makes you happy and be a good person, live like you want to. Another popular thought, Jesus never said this, but Jesus did say, for what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, wealth, fame, success, but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 26. Again, that was from the Amplified. And these are just a few of examples of things that Jesus did not say. But the last one that I want to mention tonight, uh, I feel maybe misrepresented the most uh, in the world today as far as what people say. Uh, I know you, we hear it quite often. Number one, Jesus did not say the church isn't really that important or worship it in your church you won't. Of the many things Jesus did not say, it's probably safe to say that the majority of the religious world, the religious people today, is that of worshiping like they should or how they want to. Sometimes even as Christians, we may fall short too of proper worship. Many feel that they can worship God while out enjoying nature in a boat, on a ball field, even sitting at home reading their Bible, or going to a congregation where their worship service is not found in the Bible, just as long as it makes them feel good. But that is not what scriptures teach. Jesus never said, worship me or God just any way your heart desires. Scriptures teach us we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth, for our worship is to be accepted by God. Worshiping in spirit and truth is a concept rooted in the teachings of Jesus. In the Gospel of John 4 and 24, Jesus did state that God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So let's quickly look at what this means. Spirit, worship in spirit. When we worship in spirit, it means our worship is genuine, <clears throat> heartfelt, and led by the Holy Spirit. It involves our innermost being, our emotions, and our connection with God. It not merely, it's not merely external rituals, but an authentic expression from within, expression to God. And then in truth. Worship in truth. To worship in truth means our worship aligns with the revealed truth about God 
in His Word. It's not based on false doctrines or personal opinions or how we think it should be. It involves understanding who God is, who we are, what God has done, and how He expects us to come before Him and to worship Him. In summary, <clears throat> worshiping in spirit and truth involves both sincerity of heart and adherence and obedience to God's revealed truth. Our worship goes far beyond external practices. People see it, and it is see it and us engaging with God authentically, recognizing God's worthiness, and responding with reverence and love. We know that our God is a jealous God. He expects and demands us to follow His commandments in how we are to worship Him. And there are many examples found within the Scriptures about those that did not worship Him as He demanded or did not follow God's commandments. So I want to look at two of those tonight. In the Old Testament, we can find where men thought they knew better how to worship God rather than how God commanded them. And this first story is found in Leviticus, beginning in chapter 8 and reading through chapter 10, verses 1 and 3. So if you'd like to turn and follow along, and this is from the, uh, I believe it's the New American Standard Bible. Beginning in verse 1, Leviticus 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded us to do. Then Moses and Aaron and his sons come near, and he washed them with water. Then he put the tunic on Aaron and wrapped his waist with the sash and clothed him and the robe and put the ephod on him. And he wrapped his waist with the artistic band of the ephod with which he fitted him. Ephod is another word for an apron of sort. He then placed the breastplate on him, and in the breastpiece he put the Urim and Thummim. He also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban at its front he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything that was in it and consecrated them. He also sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Next Moses and Aaron's sons come near, and he clothed them with tunics and wrapped their waists with sashes and bound caps on them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Next Moses slaughtered it and took the blood, and with his finger put some of it around on the horns of the altar and purified the altar. Then he poured out the rest of the blood 
at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. He also took all the fat that was on the entrance and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat. And Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide, its flesh and its refuse, he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled blood around on the altar. When he had cut the ram into pieces, Moses offered up the head and the pieces and the suet and smoke. After he had washed the entrails and the legs with water, Moses offered up the whole ram and smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. He also had Aaron's sons come near. And Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around the altar. He then took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver, the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer and placed them on the portions of fat on the right thigh. He then put all these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons, and he presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and offered them up in smoke on the altar with the burnt offering. They were an ordination offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord. Moses also took the breast and presented it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, on the garments of his sons with him, and he consecrated Aaron, his garments, and his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. Then Moses said to Aaron, and to his sons. Boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting and eat it there together with the bread which is in the basket of the ordination offering just as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And the remainder of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn in the fire. And you shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day that the period of your ordination is fulfilled. For he will ordain you through, through seven days. The Lord has commanded us to do as has been done this day to make atonement on your behalf. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and fulfill your duty to the Lord so that you will not die 
for so I have been commanded. Aaron and his sons did all these things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. Chapter 9. Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses, this is after the seven days, uh, that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a calf, a bull, as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering, both without defect, and offer them before the Lord. Then you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Take a male goat as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both one year old, without defect, as a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of the meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses did said to Aaron, Come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, so that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then make the offering for the people so that you may make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Aaron's sons then presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put some on the horns of the altar and poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. The fat and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver of the sin offering he then offered up in smoke on the altar, just as the Lord had commanded. The flesh and the hide, however, he burned with fire outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons brought the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around the altar. They brought the burnt offering to him in pieces with the head, and he offered them up in smoke on the altar. He also washed the entrails and the legs and offered them up in smoke and with burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering, and he took the goat of the sin offering, which was for the people, and slaughtered it and offered it for sin, and like the, like the first. He also presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the ordinance. Next he presented the grain offering and filled his hands with some of it and offered it up in smoke on the altar, besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons brought the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around the altar. And as for the portions of fat from the ox and from the ram, the fat tail, the fat covering the kidneys and the lobe of the liver, they now placed the portions of fat on the breast, and he offered them up in smoke on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord, just as Moses had commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire went out from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering 
and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell face downward. Chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans. And after putting fire in them, placed incense on the fire and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, By those who come near me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silence. In order to understand these chapters, let's review this story a little. The first tabernacle had been erected, and Aaron was doing sacrificing, as Moses commanded, had he been instructed by God to do. One day, two of Aaron's sons, Nahab and Abihu, they came along and offered incense with strange fire. The Hebrew word translated strange means it's simply unauthorized, foreign or profane. God not only rejected their sacrifice, he found it so offensive that he consumed the two men with the fire. After Nadab and Abihu were killed, Moses explained to Aaron why God had done such a hard thing. This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. The exact nature of the profane fire isn't known. But since it was a fire that was unauthorized, it was not how God wanted to be worshipped. And it was called strange fire. Whatever it was, the men did, did to render the offering profane. It was a sign of their disregard or their utter, uh, it was a sign of their disregard of the holiness of God and the need to honor God and obey Him in solemn and holy fear. Their carelessness and irreverence were their downfall. It led to their destruction, their death. And at least 12 times in these verses, <clears throat> it is written, and they did as the Lord commanded. Then one time it was written, and they did not what the Lord commanded, and God struck them dead. So aren't you and I thankful today that we no longer live under the, Testament, the Old Testament law with such strict guidelines in the offering for sin. But what about us today? Are we often <clears throat> as well being careless when we come together to worship God? In judging Nahab and Abihu for their strange fire, God was making a point to all the priests who would serve in his tabernacle and later in his temple and uh, make an example or a point to us as well. Since this was the first time sacrifices were being offered on the altar 
and Israel was getting to know the living God better. When Aaron's sons were disobedient and profane, God displayed his displeasure in no uncertain terms. God was not going to allow disobedience of Aaron's sons to set precedent for future disregard of his law. So friends, it does matter today and certainly since this time. It does matter how we worship him. Worshiping him is not something we do for our entertainment. It is not to make us feel good. It's not to be done in a way we think would be easier or better or more practical. Worshiping him is to be done just as he commanded it to be done. And another story is found in the New Testament. It's found in Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. And this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Ananias, his wife Sapphira, they had sold a piece of property. Uh, verse 1 says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked Kirk, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So for us today, certainly, I think, I think we can uh, say that it does matter how we worship, certainly from these examples. And I think we can all say, yes, it does matter. I know there are times we may get weary or a little lazy when it comes to standing up for the way we worship or defending our worship or our practice of worship. More often than not, we are not as bold as we need to be. But it does matter to God as to how he wants to be worshipped. We need to be very careful and not mislead our friends, our families, or those that we come into contact with that worshiping God just anyway, will be right. 
We should keep on encouraging each other daily to follow God's commandment, especially since we know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. And certainly we, not only do we need to uh, teach others and lead them, but I think it is probably just as important or more so to, to remind uh, each other and to keep us, each ourselves, in the proper uh, worship of God. Entering to God's kingdom comes only through the narrow gate. We know that the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide, especially for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And only a few find it, according to Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus did not say everyone is going to heaven. Jesus didn't say, I will let you into heaven as long as you're a good person. Remember, it seems like every time if you listen to a, a religious program on TV, and at many funerals, you know, you, you, don't, you don't get the impression that anyone is going to hell. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus didn't say, I will let you into heaven as long as you're a good person. So, in closing, remember that sin is sin. And you will not get into heaven if you are living in sin or if you have unforgiven sin. Our obedience in 99% of areas does not cover our disobedience in that 1% that is left. If we're obedient in 99% of everything and then in this 1% uh, we're uh, disobedient well that is sinful to God 